You're a beautiful. You're a beautiful. You're a beautiful. All right, all right, all right. I guess this means we are officially starting our SEC Slow Smokes Week 5 Review Podcast. I'm your, your host, Alex, a.k.a. Bullship One. And I think we have Whole Smash, and it sounds like JB, but he might be James Blunt today. Is that James Blunt out there? I hear it is James Blunt because you know this is dedicated to the Kentucky Wildcats. Okay, and your 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 newly Kentucky Wildcats theme song. You're beautiful. I guess because they're playing great SEC football, they're not the who who saw this coming from Kentucky right now. They are a physically dominant football team. They are what Mississippi State was supposed to be. And what Tennessee aspires to be, right? Uh, I guess you can say that, but as far as Kentucky standards, uh, this is a physically dominant football team. Well, I'm just saying it's they're not waiting for basketball season more. They're waiting for New Year's to come around so they can play in the playoffs. I think they're actually thinking that they're they're ready for Georgia and Bama and whoever hell to come and try to um, dominate them on on the line of scrimmage. Um, it's just crazy how, how good they are, led by um, Benny Snell, but you could also say their offensive and defensive lines um, really, really great this year. Holder, are you impressed with Kentucky? And now, after watching them beat Florida, then your team, Mississippi State, and now South Carolina, easily South Carolina win. Yeah, it's been really impressive to watch Kentucky play. I think they've I definitely think they've surprised a lot of people and, you know, kind of forced everyone to, to notice them and talk about them. Um, they've just been a really physical team on both lines of scrimmage. Uh, defense has played really well. They've been able to run the ball on offense. Terry Wilson's able to make plays with his feet. It's just uh, – it's been a fun team to watch, and I'm interested to see how far they can go. Oh, if you let's, – let's just, like, put this little situation. Now, Benny Snell is a really good running back. And if you ever listen to him talk um, – being being interviewed or anything like that, he doesn't have a problem with confidence. He's a very confident person. Do you think he has more confidence as a running back for the University of Kentucky, or do you would you say JB has more confidence when he's been drinking some Jack and Cokes? Who has more confidence? Just comparing the two. Well, it's pretty tough to compete with JB. JB confidence wise, when he's uh, got some liquid courage in him, but I'd probably still have to go with Benny Snell. Benny Snell does have some swag. I, I like it. I don't know if I like it or not. I think I like it, but sometimes it's it's a little annoying. But I think I mean it's it's good for um, change for Kentucky because um, they're usually just you think they're you're waiting for basketball season, but he's like hell no, we are good in football, and I'm trying to win the Heisman. Except for he doesn't say that. He doesn't talk like that. He doesn't say I'm trying to win the Heisman. He talks about his team first always. But um, I just I, I think it is kind of refreshing to have somebody from Kentucky that's kind of like the face of this. 5-0 and team now, so I'm um, kind of excited for Kentucky football. I did not see them manhandling South Carolina the way they did. That was, I think a, I think the line sw- switched back and forth between Kentucky and South Carolina throughout the week. I think at one point it was South Carolina by two, and I think it was Kentucky by one. I think the final line was like South Carolina by one, but it was, it was a good game uh, by Kentucky showing off their strength. Um, JB, do you think they're ready to compete against Georgia and the SEC East now? I don't know if I could say compete with Georgia, but when I look at Kentucky's schedule, 
there is a really good chance that they will be undefeated by the time they play Georgia. And this game will be in Lexington at Kroger Field. So, as I tell Big Blue Nation, enjoy the ride because this is the chance of a once-in-a-lifetime kind of season for Kentucky football. Or as far as lifetime because they haven't had a lot of success in their past. But this season is set up to be really special for them. Oh, are you a believer in Mark Stoops now, or would you still rather have Big Brother Bob? <laughs> yeah, I think I, I'd probably still rather have Bob, but uh, Mark Stoops, what he's done has been really incredible. Um, they really gave him the opportunity to uh, build the program the right way, and uh, they've been patient with him, and there were times where it really looked like he wasn't going to go anywhere, but He's had a really big season this year and is, uh, you know, basically rewarding Kentucky for sticking with him for so long. That's the crazy thing. When you think about all these high-profile jobs in SEC, Kentucky's not the first one that comes to your mind, but it's still a job in SEC, a coaching job in SEC where you're, you're contested week in and week out against teams with equal – and great, vast resources. So it's really hard to win every week. It's not just an easy one, especially at Kentucky when you're, quote, a basketball school and um, you have all these, quote, football schools you're playing against. Um, it's, it's very hard. But I think it's kind of uh, it's cool that Kentucky has given them time because, you know, you win, you go seven and six or whatever it was, two years in a row um, at some of these schools, and they're not going to give you the time to you know, have an extra year after that. I think they start off like, I think his first year was like four, he won four games and he won seven games the last two years. I think, I don't know if he's won a bowl game yet, but I know he hasn't had any eight or nine win seasons. And that's, you don't really get that time in most of the different SEC schools. I think that's pretty cool. Um, JB, do you think that um, Mark Stoops or Matt Luke is the goofiest person, goofiest looking person in the SEC? Matt Luke, that's far. Hold. You should have seen Matt Luke's uh, face last night during the uh, LSU game. There was, I forgot which moment it was. There was a moment getting up at the scoreboard, and he just has that dumbfounded look on his face, like, huh? <laughs> JB, we could, we could honestly, we could say the same about you a lot of times. But we, we don't. We just, except we just... I'm not, a, I'm not an SEC football coach. So. No, you're, you're just a high prolific SEC podcaster. Is what you are. Um. Yeah, so both of them do look kind of goofy, but both of them uh, – well, Matt Luke's in his first real year, but um, Stoops is doing – I'll, I'll preface that. Yeah. Mark Stoops is doing really good in his, I, will add, I think, fourth year. I will add something about Matt Luke. Uh, just from after last night's game, there are some Ole Miss fans that are turning on Matt Luke already just in his first season. There are what? Some Ole Miss fans that are turning – on Matt Luke. Oh, okay. I think you said Mark Stoops. I was thinking about Mark Stoops for a second. Already, yeah, I don't know, man. It's it's tough. It's um, they you and they can keep thinking that offense wins in the SEC, but it doesn't. I mean, it's it's good to have a great offense, but it's not going to get you too far in the SEC. You know whose offense I'm really disappointed with, JB, is Auburn Tigers. They have a potential first round quarterback in Jared Siddham and a high profile offensive coordinator that's a coach and Gus Miles on, but they seem to struggle week in and week out with scoring a lot of points against these teams that they should blow out like Southern Miss. Do you figure out what's the deal with uh, Auburn is right now? Problem is that they can't get an established running game. And with Gus Miles on teams, they've always been able to run the ball. They've always been able to run the ball effectively and, and, you know, be able to dominate the trenches. 
this year's team is not able to establish a running game, and that is the ultimate difference. And also, they're missing some receivers with uh, Eli Stove and Will Hastings. They're not they're out currently. Uh, and then they had to transfer with uh, Nate Craig Myers. So, you see there's a lot of turnover there on, in the receiving core. And, you know, Jared Sinema can't do it all by himself. I mean, he's a talented quarterback. But when you don't have a running game and you have a lot of your main targets out, it's going to be tough sledding. Oh, is this a mismanagement by Gus Malzahn, or is this they doesn't have the talent at running back this year after losing Petway or Carry On Johnson? No, they lost Petway too, right? So they lost both Carry On Johnson and Petway. So is this a talent problem, or is this a coach problem? Because in my mind, I would still say they have a first round quarterback and they should be able to adapt with their current roster and still put up a shit ton of points against Southern Miss. Yeah, I mean, I think it has a little bit to do with talent at the running back position, but I think it, a lot of it has to do with inexperience in the offensive line. Uh, like we talked about before the season started, they replaced four offensive linemen, and they've got some talented guys in there, but really, and they just can't. Uh, they just haven't been able to play at as high of a level as they're used to. And, um, you know, Sidham's been, you know, not great, but uh, – you know, he's been he's been fine. He's been good enough for them to win if they have their running attack. Jared Stem's probably my one of my biggest disappointments in SEC thus far. He's not doing horrible, but he's not having a Heisman winning winning season or Heisman year for Auburn, and that's very disappointing on my in my mind because I picked him to be the Heisman winner or Heisman runner. I picked Auburn to win, like, pretty much all their games. So, he's making me look dumb, and I don't like looking dumb. So, this is not cool, Jared Sidham, if you're out there listening, which you should be because we have a very good podcast. So, um, just do better. Do better so you can make us look good. Um, Holt, were you impressed with – we'll jump around here. Were you impressed with LSU now uh, beating Ole Miss? We talked about Matt Luke, or JB said that Matt Luke uh, – there's – almost fans that are already maybe tired of Matt Luke already in this first official year. Were you impressed with LSU winning uh, as big as they did against Ole Miss and Joe Burrow actually looking good? Yeah, I was really impressed with LSU last night. Um, Joe Burrow really looks like, uh, the you know, a really good quarterback. Um, you know, this doesn't have the best defense, but he was able to throw it around a little bit. He had some big runs in the game as well, really showed off all the things he can do. And, um, you know, LSU's defense continues to play really well, even against a high-powered home offense. So, uh, yeah, I mean, I'm really impressed with LSU. They're really starting to change my mind about what kind of team they're going to be this year. And, um, you know, they're really looking more and more like the top 15, top 10 ranking that they have. I think they're number four now. I think the rankings have come out. They're either number four. Five, they're number five this week, but they could be number four now. I'm not positive. I think they remained at number five. The most surprising thing that I saw in the ranking is uh, Auburn moved up two spots. As horrible as they looked, they're up to number eight now. But that's because Stanford lost, right? Yeah, just by virtue of teams ahead of them losing. But, I mean, let's just face the facts. Auburn's not a top ten team at the moment. Uh, well, JB, that is an opinion, not a fact. So you can't uh, face that right now. But I respect – what you're trying to say, Auburn sucks dick right now. So we're going to Tennessee Auburn game in a couple of weeks. Are you saying that Tennessee's gonna blow out Auburn now? Uh never even made mention of that, but <laughs> uh, don't get crazy. Two, two weeks from now, uh 
you know, Tennessee's going to have a bye. So, you know, you never know. I mean, you know, we're not going to look about, look at that game now because that's two weeks from now. You know, we're looking at next week. But, you know, we'll, we'll find out. we got to see how Auburn performs next against Mississippi State. JB, who has the higher ceiling, ceiling LSU or Auburn? Um, Roster-wise, I still like Auburn's roster. But LSU, like, they really seem to be putting things together. Their defense playing together in a really cohesive unit. And last night, uh, the you know, we had the worst offense in the SEC against the defense in the SEC. The worst offense, worst offense that performed really well. Yeah. LSU's defense plays like they're really thirsty. <laughs> Some thirsty guys. I like that. I like that. Um, oh, we – JB said that uh, Auburn – which one? Wait, wait, which one did you just say, JB, has a higher ceiling? Auburn? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I thought I heard that right. Just making sure you like how LSU's playing, but you think Auburn still has a higher ceiling, which uh, I would probably agree with just because of the better quarterback and the defenses. Even though LSU has, a, I think, the defense playing better right now, Auburn's defense is still really good. Um, I think it's easier to figure out a running game versus figuring out a quarterback situation, which even though Joe Burrow played really great last night, um, I don't. he hasn't played consistent. I think Jerson himself has more potential than – uh, Joe Burrow, so um, that's why I like Auburn has the higher ceiling, but um, I'll flip this around on you, Holt. Who do you think has the higher floor uh, between LSU and Auburn? Um, man, I probably – man, it's tough. Um, I think their floors are actually, like, right about the same um, because they're both really good defensive teams and they can both uh, play really well. Alex, man, you're really enjoying that water, aren't you? Yeah, I told you I'm a thirsty. I'm a thirsty as those LSU defensive guys, man. I'll um I'll I'll hold off on my uh my thirst here um for the remainder of the show if that will appease you and JB though. And the SC podcast nation out there, including Jared Sidham. So my bad, Jared Sidham. It's all good. No more uh, no more drinking. I'll I'll hold it off till the end of the day. You just get back from a run or something? What's up? I did run um, about an hour ago, but I've I'm still slowly rehydrating. Um, but you know what I am, man. It's just I'm, I'm a thirsty dude still. So um, I'll try my best. No, no, no. I'm gonna get you some straws for Christmas. Some straws. Um, yeah, cool. Um, let's talk about some other games real quick. We'll skip around and get more in detail some of these games later. Um, JB, I was. Let's just talk about each other's weekends real quick because this will help me understand where everybody was. So, JB, you were not at any games, so you were watching every single game, sun up to sundown, and even college game day before, I'm assuming, right? Yeah, I was uh, – well, earlier in the day, I uh, took my dog over to see some family and took my dog with me to see some family and visit my grandparents. But I watched all the games there until about 1 o'clock. And then – once I got back to my place around one thirty, I was glued to my lazy boy by eleven that night. So we're we're in week five, JB. Um, which you don't take any Saturday for granted now, but are you still at the point where you wanna eat good every Saturday, watch all the games? I know you watch all the games, but you still wanna like have a big meal, like a really good meal for Saturdays for your game? Uh yeah, like you always gotta have at least one, you know, nice meal on every college football Saturday. Yesterday, my meal was uh, Rock and Dough Pizza, which is a uh, local pizzeria in Memphis, probably the best pizza in Memphis. Uh, I had a uh, four meats pizza, so it was customized with four different meats on it. I put smoked pork, uh, bacon, 
uh, spicy Italian sausage and smoked chicken on it. And it was delicious. That sounds pretty good. I've been to Rockin' Dough Pizza. I can confirm that it is, in fact, good. However, I do know people from the north that will fight you on saying any pizza in the south is good. So while I do agree with you that the pizza is good, I also don't say barbecue in New York is good. So I don't know if we can um, – we'll have to – come to a an understanding that it's good for us but maybe not good for the big 10 country or whoever else is in the northeast or north so um it is good so you're watching all the games and um you have the breakdown of the tennessee georgia game because i on the other end um unfortunately did not go to any sec games and i wasn't able to watch as many i went to appalachian state university homecoming game against south alabama and they won i think it was like 52 to 7 which um, my girlfriend goes there or went there. Not goes there. I'm a little bit out of college, so she doesn't go there anymore. But she went there, so that's how I got dragged to that game. Um, otherwise, I'd be watching just as much football as you. Um, which, by the way, they still talk about the Michigan game like it happened yesterday. It's pretty funny. Um, they really need to win another game. That's why I was kind of hoping they beat Penn State earlier this year because otherwise they um, will still have to talk about the Michigan game for the next 20 years until they have a big win. But – Went to the homecoming game. It was a pretty good game. Um, as in, like, it was a pretty good atmosphere. It was in the middle of the mountains in, in Boone, North Carolina. But I did not watch as much SEC football as I would have liked. So I got out of the game. And I came back to watch some games. I saw Tennessee, Georgia. It was 24-12. to 12, And I was like, what the hell is going on? And Justin Fields was in the game at the time, JB. So I had you, asked you to break, break it down for me. And I'll just I'll ask you now to break it down. What happened? Why is this game so close? The score at the end of the game was is not close, thirty eight to twelve, but it was twenty four to twelve at one point. Um, are we are we seeing something from from Jeremy Pruitt in Tennessee where they're actually starting to improve? Because they looked like shit against Florida, and, um, and now they're starting to look like they're a little bit better. So what's going on? Yeah, there's a drastic improvement from uh, last week to this week's um, Tennessee performance. Uh, defense was really doing a good job of uh, trying to contain uh, the Georgia running game. Uh, granted, they did get worn out later in the, later in the game, but they did a really good job of uh, stopping this uh, really tough Georgia offense. And Tennessee defense were able to score first half. Uh, the second half, they were able to uh, move the ball a little bit and they actually got a couple touchdowns. And they were down twenty-four nothing, and they got two consecutive touchdowns. One for two on both of them. Uh, they were trying to play a numbers game. And uh, went for two on both of those touchdowns, didn't get it, so it was 24-12. And there was a time, I think it was like eight minutes to go in the game, Georgia had the ball, and Tennessee had a couple of chances to stop Georgia third down and get off the field and, you know, try to maybe, you know, try to make a comeback. But uh, Georgia was able to uh, sustain a long seven-minute drive, just running the ball, pounding the rock with uh, Holyfield. And they, they were able to uh, – get a touchdown to go up 31-12, and after that, it was just pretty much over after that. But I give Tennessee a lot of credit. Uh, they looked a lot better yesterday. They're, it looked like maybe for the first time this season that maybe uh, things are starting to look a little more uh, positive on Rocky Top than not so negative. And we'll, we'll see because they're going into a bye week. So they got another – they're going to have a bye week to uh, try to, you know, get things even more correct. And we're gonna we'll see how the scene looks in two weeks when they play on the plains in Auburn. Jebby, would you say that um, you said Tennessee looks like they're getting better? Would you say they're they're building this thing up brick by brick? No. Okay, just being sure, just making sure, because I, I feel like I've heard that somewhere before. I just want to make sure this is the same thing I've heard before. I don't know everything I said. Build it. 
this thing? Did I say building this thing? In no, no. I'm trying to put words in your mouth because I'm just trying to read between the lines what you're saying. So maybe there's there's like a second coming of Butch oh, Jones in Tennessee. What you want to see, you know, with any new head coach in his first season, is you want to see improvement game by game. That's the most important thing. And recent history shows that usually the first year, you know, they may not be the best season, but you see improvement game by game. And then usually by year two, depending on the roster, year two is when they take off. If the roster is not great, they take off by year three. You just want a lot of leadership reps out there. Leadership reps. Hey, champions of life, right? Big deal. Big deal. The University of Tennessee doing big things. JB, let me ask you this. Um, early in the year, we talked about SEC player of the years and um, most improved players, impact players, all that kind of stuff. I'm pretty sure you mentioned DeAndre Swift as being your guy for this year, but it looks like Elijah Holyfield is actually outperforming him for the second week in a row. So I'm going to ask you this. Is Elijah Holyfield better than DeAndre Swift? They both bring different dynamics to the uh, Georgia offense. Holyfield is more of the uh, pound-the-rock guy. He's going to get you the uh, tough yardage. Swift, though, when you give the ball to him in open space, I don't know if there's really a better athlete than him, except his teammate, Nicole Hardman. So when you got guys, when you got those two guys, if you get the ball in space to Hardman or Swift, it's pretty much lights out. Just that kind of guy. He's more like a, uh, you know, I'm trying to think of a good comparison, but he's he's more of that kind of running back that's just going to be able to make breakaway runs and really uh, get some extra yards in space. Hmm. Great, JB. You'd uh, you'd make a great politician because you can't answer a question directly, yes or no. I didn't say he was better. I, that's I, I, there's, I, not, there's no way of saying who's better because they're both completely different backs. I know pet pet peeve of, of mine is when people don't answer questions directly. You're, I mean, you gave a good a good long answer, but no direct answers from JB. That's fine. That's fine. I gotta learn. Gotta <laughs> learn my lesson. I'm not gonna go into politics. Gotta learn my, yeah, you make a good politician. I think Holt would vote for you. I might vote for you if Holt votes for you. But other than that, I'm not sure. Um, Holt, I don't know how much of this game you watched because you did have other um, priorities, um, a.k.a. the Mississippi State game. Uh, but um, I was noticing, and maybe this is a better question for JB, but I'll ask you, Holt, because I want to include you on this, to get a, a non-fans perspective from this. Um, I saw Justin Fields play a lot of this game, and this would make the fifth game that he's played, so a.k.a. or – yeah, AK, he's not going to redshirt this year because that means he just burned through his redshirt. What are they doing with Justin Fields? Because I've, I'm starting to slowly hear more and more rumors about, like, we should start Justin Fields. Even though Jake Fromm's doing really well, or that Justin Fields is more dynamic, so they should he should start or something like that. Um, what are they actually doing with playing Justin Fields this much? Uh, I think they're doing two things. Number one, I think they're keeping Fields happy um, by getting him in the game and letting him feel like part of the offense. And number two, I feel like uh, they're forcing teams that they play later on in their schedule to uh, prepare for two quarterbacks. And maybe if they're trying too hard to prepare for two quarterbacks, that they won't um, maybe have enough time and preparation to uh, fully stop their offense because they, they have too much to, to focus on, too much to worry about. Um so I, I think uh, they're kind of trying to do both of those things. I think he also brings a lot to the table. Obviously, I think makes our offense better. Like in the red zone, uh, having the quarterback run is really important um, because uh, there aren't as many throwing lanes in the red zone. So, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I just think all those things come into play. And uh, I, 
think he's a really talented player who's uh, going to do some big things for him. I don't think he's quite ready to be the starter yet just because I think Fromm is still, you know, kind of like the leader and, the, you know, he hasn't done anything bad this year. He's been perfectly fine. So, uh, so I mean, we'll just have to wait and see how it turns out. But uh, as of right now, I, you know, I still think Fromm's the guy. It's a it's a great problem to have, unlike some a lot of schools where they don't even know who their quarterback is. Um, it's great to have two really good quarterbacks. Um, so, Holt, you're the, you're the new head coach at Georgia, and you have two five-star quarterbacks. One's a sophomore, one's a incoming freshman. What do you do with the starter? If the sophomore is better, what do you do with the freshman? Do you redshirt him, or do you do what exactly what Georgia's doing right now and playing him in limited time in games, give him some reps in? Yeah, I mean, to me, it's just – it depends on the situation. Like, I hate, I know it's kind of a cop-out answer, but, I mean, I just – like, I think every situation is different. It just depends on which guy I think gives me the better the better chance to win right now. If I think the older guy gives me a better chance to win and I'm not going to need to play the younger guy, then I'm not going to play the younger guy. I'm going to try to redshirt him. But at the same time, you know, the younger guy may not want a redshirt and he may threaten to transfer if he doesn't play. So, you know, some, sometimes you got to just balance the – you got to know – your players and you got to know the situation and you got to play based off that. Let's, um, let's bring this out outside of the SEC real quick to a very high profile case of this in Clemson and uh, an unfortunate event. Um, Kelly Bryant was a starter throughout the year. He didn't play well as well against um, Georgia Tech and their five-star quarterback who was the only quarterback that was ranked higher than Justin Fields, Trevor Lawrence, um, 6'6 freshman, really strong arm. I think he's a really good quarterback, and I think he's going to be probably number one pick overall. Not Whenever he's eligible, it's going to be two years from now when he's a junior. Um, he played he played for Georgia Tech – or he played against Georgia Tech and played outplayed, um, outplayed Kelly Bryant. And then on Monday – um, Dabo names Kelly, or excuse me, names Trevor Lawrence, the starting quarterback, and then Kelly Bryant the next day announced he's going to transfer. And then fast forward to Saturday, they play Syracuse, and of course Trevor Lawrence goes out with a concussion, and now you don't have Kelly Bryant as the backup. You have to go to the third string quarterback. Clemson ended up winning against Syracuse, but it's just a very unfortunate event. But let's just break down this situation. If you're Dabo, he's technically doing the right thing by telling Kelly Bryant in advance that he's not going to be a starter. We're going to name Trevor Lawrence starter, and you have the ability to transfer now because you've only played four games this year. But if you're Dabo, should should he have learned his lesson and just not announced the starter so he could selfishly hold back Kelly Bryant just in case there was an injury like this? Or did he do the right thing, and would you do the right thing like that? Oh, he did absolutely the right thing by announcing Trevor Lawrence is starting. Like, you can't let this uh, battle drag out throughout the rest. And Kelly Bryant needed an answer, too. Like, he needed to know who, who he's going to roll with the rest of the season. And uh, I think he still made the right decision. I mean, hindsight 2020, even though Trevor Lawrence did get injured, Trevor Lawrence has the higher upside, younger, your future. Uh, he's going to be a huge, uh, possibly number one draft pick in a couple of years until draft. You have to play Trevor Lawrence. Yeah, kind of going off that, too, uh, one thing that JB didn't mention is I think it helps with recruiting a lot. Um, if you can, you know, when you're going around recruiting the best players in the country, they want uh, the opportunity to come in and play right away. They're not going to want to, uh, 
you know, have to sit on the bench behind a older guy just because he's been there longer. Um, it, I think it basically shows that you're going to play the best player no matter what. And uh, I think that's really going to help Dabo, Sweeney, and Clemson in recruiting going forward. Yeah, but if you if you think about or really look at their numbers for the first four games of the year, I think Trevor Lawrence has better stats. But, he, I mean, he has less opportunity, less less number of reps, and a not necessarily mop-up duty, but not the starting role. And, I mean, not against great teams. So, I think there was just like one one game here with Georgia Tech where – Trevor Lawrence truly outplayed Kelly Bryant, and I just don't – I don't know if they should have named him that fast. I think the whole point was they wanted to name – they wanted to name Trevor Lawrence the starting quarterback from the start of the season. They just were trying to give him a chance to earn it, which is what you should do, but I just don't think – I mean, I think Kelly Bryant didn't necessarily deserve to lose his starting job based off of Georgia Tech alone. I think they just they knew what they were doing to start the year. I just didn't think they didn't they held it out until the Georgia Tech game, basically. Agree? Disagree? Yeah. Yeah. I mean he's the best quarterback. But bringing this back into the SEC, um, which is still SEC related because Kelly Bryant could transfer within the SEC. There's a lot of a lot of uh schools in SEC that would really, really um like to have Kelly Bryant, including Tennessee JB. So um we, we shall see where he will transfer. He has a little bit of time. But I, I bet you he was. I bet you he was. I wouldn't. I don't think he was smiling because he wouldn't see. He wouldn't want to see Trevor Lawrence hurt. But he's probably like, man, I told y'all, should have should have helped me out. But um, nevertheless, we'll get back to the SEC play. So um, apologize in advance, hold. But we're gonna have to talk about the dogs here at Mississippi State against this uh, Florida team, and it was really an ugly game. You were there, so you get to you got to witness it in per- person, and you you tailgated. You got there Friday. Big, big crowd, big, um, big expectations against this Florida team, especially with Dan Mullen returning back to Starkville, which I don't know if there's truly hatred for Dan Mullen. So I think there's more appreciation. It's not as bad as it could have been, I guess, when he left. Um, I don't think people liked that he left at first, but I think there's more appreciation and perspective of what he did at Mississippi State. But um, does this one sting like worse than Kentucky loss, or do you think there's – worst losses this year that could happen for Mississippi State? Um, well, I mean, it hurts more than the Kentucky loss, but only because it's the second loss. You know what I mean? Like, at least, like, after the Kentucky game, I was kind of like, all right, like, it's just one game. Yeah. Like, maybe, like, we can bounce back and, like, you know, still have a good season. But after this past week, um, it just, like, really makes you think that Mississippi State's just really not going to have a good season this year, and it's going to be a long, tough season. Uh, which is really unfortunate because I think this it's probably Mississippi State's talented defense they've maybe ever had. And uh, they're a really good unit. They play really hard. And, uh, you know, it's just kind of a shame that the offense can't really move the ball at all. And it's kind of, you know, kind of ruining the season for Mississippi State. Yeah, and another thing is that uh, this really hurts Jim Moorhead too because he was expected to perform with this team this season, especially with how stacked this roster is. And if Joe Moorhead can't win more than nine games with this team, what does he have to sell to uh, future recruits? Because if he can't win with this team, how's he going to win in the future? Well, at Mississippi State, I mean, you're, you're still trying to recruit the Southeast, but your number one goal and what I think, and hold you can correct me if I'm wrong, is to beat Ole Miss and out recruit Ole Miss. That, to, to me, they're still better than Ole Miss this year, at least. I mean, not, not all the time, but 
Um, I still think they're better than Ole Miss. Um, and we'll see in the Egg Bowl. They did lose the Egg Bowl last year. But I still think they're better than Ole Miss. So I don't think they're necessarily going to lose to recruits, um, lose recruits to Ole Miss. They could lose recruit, like really good recruits to Alabama and LSU and all those schools. But um, I still think that's that's possible to out-recruit Ole Miss this year for Mississippi State. Yeah, well, I mean, it's just – I mean, to me, the issue is that, like, I don't think this offense really fits what Joe Moorhead wants to do at all. And we haven't really seen um, Joe Moorhead like make a jump to kind of fit his personnel more, which is, you know, just kind of tough because, I mean, you know, like he's known what the talent has been the whole time he's been there. And he's still, you know, you know, he's still acting like, I don't know. I guess he thinks that, like, Nick Pichelle's just going to, like, magically be Trace McCorley one day <laughs> and going to be able to, like, throw the ball, like, you know, 20 yards downfield on a dime, you know, and that's just not who he is. Here's – Like, the running backs have uh, – I mean, if you got the stats below, the running backs actually played pretty well when they got the ball. They just, like, didn't get the ball at all. Yeah, let me let me back you up real quick, Holt. Um, Kylan Hill had uh, 41 yards but only nine carries, so pretty good, decent average, 4.6. Um, Aries Williams had 31 yards on three carries. Um, so you're right. Not a lot of carries. Fitzgerald had 20 carries, but only 32 yards. Um, Florida had, yeah, their top runner back, um, only had 55 yards off 10 carries. So not, not a lot of carries. Um, but what I'll ask you this whole, this is kind of funny to me because we talked about this before, how, um, Florida and Felipe Franks isn't a Dan Mullen typical quarterback. Um, now you're saying Fitzgerald isn't a Joe Moorhead quarterback. Do you think, have they actually flipped teams? If Felipe Franks played for Mississippi State and Fitzgerald played for Florida, that would be like the ideal world for everybody as long as they didn't have to play each other? No, I, I don't think Felipe Franks is a good quarterback at all. Okay. Like, and, like, yeah, because, I mean, he if you look – if you watch that game, all of his completions were on bubble screens. They basically just ran bubble screens the whole game. He had a, he had a few uh, first downs and, like, some inside slants. But uh, for – or it was mostly just short, intermediate, you know, like basically easy passes. And anytime I threw the ball down the field, he like either threw an interception or threw it like right at someone on the, you know, someone's on, on the defense. So I'm like, yeah, I don't think Felipe Franks is uh, like, if you, like I'm sure Florida fans are happy about winning this game, but I think they're still concerned about uh, their quarterback and how he's looked so far this year because he really struggled uh, last week. Against Mississippi, but we're going to talk about the game a little bit more in a second. But I, I'm just kind of curious, Holt. You were there for the whole weekend, so can you just kind of set the set the scene, set the atmosphere for the um, the game and the whole weekend? You got there Friday, went went out in the town, had a good time with your your friends, your college buddies, your frat bros, your frat stars. Um, what what was was everybody like? Pretty optimistic, pretty like confident about this game going. So like, we're going to beat the hell out of Florida. Dan Mullen can't come in here and beat us with his team. Because um, it's our team. Like what? When even then, after that, like in the during the game, um, you go up three or nothing. You're like, okay, we got this. This is okay. We only got three points, but we're we're gonna beat them. No way, four is gonna come back. When did it start to shift from we're really confident, we're great to like what's what's going on? Or was there always a question of like, man, I really hope Florida doesn't beat us here this weekend? Yeah, it's more of the latter. I mean, I like I don't think Mississippi State fans are really ever that confident. I think there's always, like, that little – there's always, like, a cloud, like, hanging over the program, it feels like, and there's always, like, the, that feeling of, like, 
you know, how are we going to blow it this time kind of a thing. But uh, you talked about, like, a situation in the game. Uh, Mississippi State was winning uh, 6-3 to at halftime, and they got an interception. I think it may have been the first drive of the second half, um, or maybe the second, I can't remember. But uh, maybe it's the first. But uh, it was the first. But um, anyway, they get an interception at, like, midfield, and, you know, they're finally able to pick off Felipe Franks after having a couple of – missed chances to get some interception. And, uh, you know, the offense just goes three and out. They punt, and then Florida goes, like, right down the field and scores the only touchdown of the game. And to me, like, that was the point in the game where it, it felt like Mystery State had a chance to, like, take control of the game. And uh, instead, it ended up going the other way. And um, that was probably the point in the game where it's like, oh, crap, like, we're seriously, like, not a good football team. I think I think there's still a lot of potential there. I just think it hasn't been reached yet, and that could just be. And I hate making excuses because I feel like I've gone through this as a, I mean, different sport. Memphis basketball coaches, you make you make um, you make excuses for your first year head coach. At some point, you have to say like this: you need to get this together, even though it's your first year or your second year or whatever it is. But you know, the, well, I mean, no excuse. Like they, Mississippi State scored one offensive touchdown in the first two SEC games of the season, and you have. A fifth-year senior quarterback with three years playing experience. You got a really experienced physical offensive line, and you've got some talent at receiver. Maybe not like, you know, very proven, but you still got some, you know, some decently recruited guys, some tall, athletic guys out there, and you've got two really good running backs. And you're telling me that like, in two games, you can only score one touchdown in your first, like your first two SEC games. It's not like, I mean, I'm not trying to take anything away from Florida or Kentucky. They're both like, really good teams, but I don't care who you're playing. You score one touchdown in two games, like, I mean, that – especially with an offense that has this much experience, like, there's no excuse for that. Yeah, that's, that's what I'm saying. At some point you have to say, okay, let's get this together. We're, we're better than this. Do you think if Dan Mullen was coaching Mississippi State and Joe Moorhead was coaching yeah. Florida, then it'd be easy win? If, if Dan Mullen was coaching Mississippi State, they'd still be undefeated, in my opinion. Yeah, and everybody likes Dan Mullen for the most. I don't think he's like a great coach, but he's a. I think he's like on the the cusp of great. I think he's a well, pretty good this coach. Team, this team is built for you know Dan Mullen, though. You know what I mean? Like, like I'm not saying that like I think Joe Moore is terrible and Dan Mullen's the greatest coach of all time. I'm just saying this team is built to be coached by Dan Mullen. Yeah, you know what I mean? Like Nick Fitzgerald is a Dan Mullen quarterback. He's not. A, he's not a going to fit in really any other offense except for one that like Dan Mullins. Were there a lot of fans around there that were like booing Dan Mullen, saying bad things about Dan Mullen? Yeah, I mean like at the, at the beginning of the game, like the focus was kind of on Dan Mullen, but by the end of the game, it was more the focus was on Mississippi State's offense and how bad they were playing, not so much on Dan Mullen. And I, I haven't watched any post-game press conferences, but have you watched any post-game press conferences Joe Moorhead? Because I'm sure he's getting asked tough questions right now. Yeah, you know, I just read uh, some of the quotes from Twitter, and it just, you know, I mean, it's basically just like your average stuff. Like, basically, they're asking him why he's not getting the running backs more involved. And, you know, he's talking about how his offense, like, doesn't really have a lot of designed runs. It's mostly, like, RPO-based. And the defense is obviously playing the run, so that means they're going to throw the ball, and then they try to throw the ball, but Nick Joe can't complete any passes. So it's just kind of like, well – I don't know. It sounds like your offense is broken to me. <laughs> Are you pessimistic on the rest of the season for Mississippi State? 
Uh, well, I think their defense is good enough to keep them in most of the games they're going to play. Um, you know, I think – like, I don't think there's anyone on their schedule they can't beat except for Alabama. Um, but I think basically every other game on their schedule I think is winnable. It's just, you know, I think they're – like I said, their defense is good enough to keep them in every game they're going to play this year. But, like, right now their offense is – looks, like, absolutely terrible. I mean, like – They've been so bad on offense. Like, I just don't even know how to describe it. And you, you sound like me um, after a, after my team, like, sucks. It just, it just pisses you off. And you're like, so you're, you're – I mean, you say every game is winnable, but you're still kind of low on them um, for, the, for the near term. Um, and that brings my, to my point. We did the SEC power rankings today. I think you had them at 10, and JB had them one spot higher at 9. So, I asked JB, you're a little bit more optimistic about Mississippi State – and hope, but that's kind of marginal at best. Uh, what do you think the rest of the year is going to look like for Mississippi State? Do you think they're going to turn it around? Because, you know, one big win against Auburn um, next week can kind of turn the whole mood around, and I think they'll, they'll be a fringe top 25 team again. They pr- probably be a top 25 team with a you know a top 10 win against Auburn, but you never know. Uh, I'd have to say we're going to have to pump the brakes on them having a uh, breakthrough season. I mean, our- you know, going into the season, I think we all expected the state, all three of us expected the state to not win no less than nine games. But now I think that seven or eight wins is looking more likely for the state team. Uh, their defense is still really outstanding. Their defensive line's great. Problem is, is the offense. And Nick Fitzgerald, he is struggling to make all the throws. Like, you just seeing, like, he had a lot of misconnections with uh, receivers, like throwing the ball behind his receivers. A lot of, uh, you know, miscommunication with his receiver as well. I, don't, I just don't know if uh, Fitzgerald has really gotten comfortable with this system at all. And uh, it's just, it's just not, it's, he's just not a good fit at Bolta. He's not a good fit for this Moorhead system. Uh, they really need to get Kylan Hill going. They've got to establish a running game with him, try to take some pressure off of Fitzgerald. Yeah. And um, we, sh- we shall see. I, I still have hope for Mississippi State. I still think. They have a lot of potential. I, I'm a kind of a contrarian when uh, a lot of a lot of people are kind of down on teams. I kind of like to think that they're going to come back, especially when you get into betting and lines. Because I'm sure like the the next week's line against Auburn is going to be um, very high point spread for Auburn. Um, I think it was three and a half was the opening. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay, so maybe I'm wrong. I, I guess I don't know what I'm talking about. I thought it'd be like Auburn by like ten or something like that. But what do I know? I, I that's why I would say like at the point I would I would. I, if it was like seven or 10, I would say that Mississippi state would cover and maybe beat Auburn. But if it's still three, three and a half, then I guess people are expecting the same thing as I'm, I'm thinking is, which is Mississippi state is going to come back strong next week, but we'll, we'll see. We'll see how it is, how much fight. And this is when you really find out how good of a coach or bad of a coach Joe Moorhead is when you're facing adversity and you have two losses in a row, are they going to come back and play really good against Auburn, a good, decent Auburn team, pretty good Auburn team, or are they going to, you know, look like shit against Auburn for the third week in a row? And that's when you'll know if Joe Moorhead's going to be in Starkville for a while or if it's going to be trying to trying to figure out what, what his buyout is and how much longer we have to keep paying him to uh, be at Mississippi State. So we'll see. I'm excited about that. That's, that's the whole, yeah. whole point of SEC. We should also point out that Florida's defense played really well. Um, Ty Grantham, uh, I just – I love, I like, I love the way he coaches. I know, like, he gives up a lot of big plays and, like, people are kind of turned off on him to some extent. But I just love the way he calls the game. 
and he's so aggressive and just like he's not afraid to bring a corner or safety or like whatever and he's just gonna come at you from like five thousand different directions and like just like I said, I know he gives up a lot of big plays and he's kinda worn out as well from a few places he's been, but I really enjoy watching him call a game. That's actually a good point, Holt, because I was I meant to say this earlier is that um Mississippi State didn't play great, but I mean I think I think part of it is that you have a former coach and his whole staff coaching against the team that they know so well. So like they know their strengths and weaknesses really, really well. So that's, that's a great point I wanted to talk about for a second is that um, while Mississippi state is the better team on paper, should have won this game. I think it's, I think it's hard to win against a coach coach and staff that knows the team you're playing so well. So I think that that plays a lot into this game. You, you saw it earlier this year in the NFL whenever um, whatever his name is, Patricia for the Lions, uh, coach against the Patriots and just killed the Patriots. And like that was a game you shouldn't have you shouldn't have seen the Patriots lose to the Lions. So I think that's kind of a similar thing here is that Florida isn't as good as Mississippi State, but you have a whole coaching staff that knows Mississippi State inside and out. So I think that's that has a lot to do with what's going on in this game. Yeah, I think so too. So it's it's kind of tough, but um, it is what it is, and we shall see next week what's going on with Mississippi State and Joe Moorhead as a coach. JB, you said you watched Arkansas and A&M. What were you impressed with in this game? Were you impressed with Arkansas, or were you disappointed in A&M? Um, it's a close game. I know you're going to call me a politician again. It's a little bit of both for sure. I was more impressed with Arkansas, though. Uh, definitely, I'm definitely lean more more impressed with Arkansas. Their defense really stepped it up this game against that A&M offense. Uh, I really like how that Arkansas defense. They're playing really hard. Uh, Chavis Cheek has uh, got this defense dialed in. Uh, they've got they improved every single game. Uh, Chad Morris is still working out the case with his offense, but Ty Story shows some flashes in this game, and he, he is a tough guy. Like he takes a lot of hits and he's, he gets a lot of pressure. He's a very between them and the rest of the conference. But uh, there's no spaces now. Like, Arkansas is much is improved from the first week of the season to now. And uh, there's there's reason to be optimistic that uh, this team's going to get better as the season progresses. And who knows, they might be able to steal a game. Uh, JB, that's just one game. You can't you can't base off of one game. You know that. I'm, not try- I'm trying to be a glass-half-full guy here, Alex. Give me a break. I guess, I guess. Do you think Arkansas could beat Tennessee State by more than four points? Because that's what Vanderbilt won by this week. Yeah, I think so. Uh, a lot of people are actually thinking Tennessee State and Vanderbilt was going to be a closer matchup. I didn't. I, w- I wasn't buying it. I thought that Vanderbilt would take care of business, you know, in a better fashion. But uh, that's that was a little disappointing. I think Vanderbilt should have, uh, even though that these students only three miles apart. I expected Vanderbilt to uh, really uh, win that one. More. They don't have like an official rivalry name for this, do they? Because it's like essentially the Battle of no. Nashville. No, they don't. But I'm, I'm just saying those two schools are only three miles apart. It's like the same distance as your uh, grad alma mater and my undergrad alma mater. Um, AKA Memphis and Christian Brothers. I got you. Yes. Thank you. Thank you, JB, for pointing out. Pretty, pretty thing. <laughs> um, 
Yeah, so uh, another thing I want to point about that Arkansas Texas A&M game. Yeah, Arkansas looked great or looks a lot better, more improved, kind of like Tennessee did too. But um, that Arkansas Texas A&M game seems like it's always a fun game every year. Um, it is. That's probably one of the best SEC matchups every year. Even though it's been one-sided with A&M always winning, those matchups have always been exciting. Even this year when I was expecting this matchup to not really be that close, it was a close game. Even with Arkansas is how bad as they've looked so far this season and how good, much improved A&M has looked, it's a rivalry game. So this is this might be that matchup in the SEC where on each side, no matter how good or bad one of the teams is, always going to be a close game. As a Tennessee fan, are you scared of Vanderbilt yet? Uh, I'm not scared of Vanderbilt, no. You ain't never scared is what you're saying. I'm not scared of this Vanderbilt team. I'm, I mean, I'm not saying that Tennessee's going to be Vanderbilt, but there's nothing about this Vanderbilt team that's scary either. Yeah, I'm, I'm, looking, I'm looking at the schedule. And... I think if Tennessee and Vanderbilt played right now, it would be a toss-up, but this is October. They don't play until late November. Vanderbilt has three wins right now, and it's not going to be super easy, but they could they could get to bowl game. They have Arkansas left on the schedule, Ole Miss, and Tennessee. Those are the three best chances. You could say Missouri, too, if you wanted to, but I don't think so. They, they played Georgia, Florida, and Kentucky. Uh, I guess they could beat Florida, too, technically, but um, – Ole Miss, Tennessee, and Arkansas are the three easiest games uh, for remainder of the year that they could get bowl eligible. So I'm kind of, I'm kind of low key rooting for Vanderbilt to get to bowl eligible because I, I kind of like this Vanderbilt team. I kind of like Derek Mason just a little bit. I like Derek Mason too, but those three games you mentioned, they're going to have to sweep all three of those games, and those three games are pretty much like toss ups. So that means they're going to have to win all three of those toss ups. Right, right. It's all test. Um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's doable is what I'm saying. I don't, I'm not saying it's necessarily a tall task. It's, it's not easy, but it's not like the hardest thing in the world. They could, I mean, they're not going to beat Georgia. So, or, or Florida. Um, so I don't think, um, I don't think they're going to win those games, but I think they could maybe squeeze out three wins from the remainder of the year. So we'll see. We'll see. Um, and then of course you have Alabama winning by nine zillion points against Louisiana. As expected, the Raging Cajuns. And who played the Raging Cajuns this year? I thought there was another SEC team that played the Raging Cajuns. All right, that's what I thought. Let's see. So, how much did Mississippi State beat um, them by? Ooh, 56 to 10. 56 to 10. 56 to 10. And Alabama beat them by 56 to 14. So, although, Alex, although, Alex, uh, Alabama was up 49 nothing at halftime, and then Nick Saban took his foot off the gas pedal. He just blew them out in the first half. I'm, it was a I'm just saying, Mississippi. The second half was just ring around the rosy. I'm just saying, Mississippi State beat Louisiana by more than Alabama, so probably Alabama should worry about Mississippi State. Let's not play that game. <laughs> don't you call me out? <laughs> um, yeah, I mean another easy one for Alabama. I still don't think anybody looks as good as Alabama. I, I keep trying to convince myself that Clemson's going to beat Alabama in the playoff, but um, I, I haven't seen evidence of that yet on the field. Alabama hasn't really been tested either, though, to be fair. I mean, Texas a was the toughest game. They'll, they'll, play, yeah. they'll obviously play LSU and Auburn and um, even Mississippi State this year. That'll give them a harder test. And hold, if you will, they also play Missouri. So maybe Drew Locke can show up and get his Heisman against Alabama. But um, they have not looked like they're going to slow down at all right now. No, nah, I mean, I – yeah, I mean, I think Drew Locke may be able to put up some points on Alabama's defense, but I don't think Missouri has any chance of stopping Alabama. Two. Here's another fact about uh Okay, Alabama. go ahead, JB. Tua Tagovailoa has not played in the fourth quarter at all this season. 
And looking at Alabama's future schedule, he's probably not going to play in the fourth quarter until November when they play LSU. That is incredible. It is um, incredible how much they beat everybody by, yes. Um, Tua went eight for eight this game with 128 yards and two touchdowns. That is some kind of efficient. That's like I don't even think I could play that efficient um, if I was Pat White in West Virginia playing you, JB, and Intel Boy on Xbox. Um, that's really hard to be that efficient. It is ridiculous how good Tua is. But I'm, I'm high on Tua now. I'm high on him. Um, I think it's I think it's like the front runner for the Heisman right now. I don't know if y'all would disagree. Would y'all disagree with that? Absolutely, he's the front runner for the Heisman. Yeah. Uh, I, already, I already told you, like off the record, you know, not require not even recording that as long as Alabama finishes undefeated, Tua stays consistent. The Heisman is his. He's going to run away with it. Yeah. That's- Unfortunately, um, another Alabama team yeah. that's really good, another Alabama uh, player in the yeah. running for a Heisman. But as a quarterback this time, so it's a little different. Um, that's all of our games this week. We actually got through this kind of quick. Um, we'll, we'll talk about – we can talk about non-conference, but I, really, I mean, we'll talk about non-conference. Notre Dame beat Stanford. That's all you really need to know. Um, they're, I guess they're actually a legitimate team. Hold. I know you make fun of that a lot, but Notre Dame actually looks like a legitimate team. And then, oh, obviously, Ohio State beat Penn State with a – uh, late, late comeback in the fourth quarter. So that was yeah, a really good game. I actually want to talk about that uh, just briefly. There was a there was a call, you know, end of the game. It was a fourth and five call. Uh, Penn State had the ball. They were driving on Ohio State's defense in the closing minute. And on fourth and five, James Franklin calls two timeouts to discuss the play. They come out and run the play. You want you remember what the play was, Alex? I do not. They came out and did a running, a design run. Instead of putting the ball in Trace McSorley's hands. It was hands, an RPO. It was an RPO, but instead of actually having it a pass and putting the ball in the hands of their potential Heisman quarterback, they had a and they ended yeah. up getting stuffed. That's what, I, that's what I don't like about RPOs, about RPO <laughs> offenses. It's like sometimes it's just not the right call because – the defense is obviously going to choose for you to do the thing that you're not supposed to do. And, like, on fourth and five, the defense is going to be like, oh, well, we're just going to play the pass, obviously. So then they run the ball, but it's fourth and five, so you have to get five yards. So you basically need to throw the ball. So, I don't know. It's just one of those things that just bothers me about RPO offenses. Sometimes you got you got to have a design run or a design pass. You can't just be like, you know, just – Certain situations dictate that you do that. But that's all I have to say about that. <laughs> that's all I have to say about that. <laughs> Thank you, for, for assault. <laughs> um, yeah, maybe maybe you can uh, design that or instill that in your program, Holt, on in Subway and PlayStation. Are you still are you still in the dynasty mode, Holt? Yeah, I haven't played in a while though. I've been uh traveling a lot lately. So I haven't been uh, – I haven't brought my PlayStation with me because I don't feel like taking it through airport security. Damn TSA. Yep. Well, um, yeah, that kind of like wraps up our show for this week. Uh, we'll, we'll come, we will come with you come again live on Wednesday slash Thursday morning for you listeners um, from Destin, Florida, right? So we'll be at the beach. Um, our employers uh, – we're making a little business trip for SEC Slow Smoke to uh, make sure we get the best sound quality at in sunny Destin at the beach. So I'm pretty excited about that. And um, 
pretty excited for the upcoming week five. Any any closing words for you from you fellows? Jimmy, you want to try to sing uh, again without laughing this time? Yeah, I'll give it one more. Yeah. Hell yeah. This, Go this, ahead. Uh, this is an encore for the Kentucky Wildcats. Only because we asked for it. You're beautiful. You're beautiful. You're beautiful. It's true. I saw your face in a crowded place. And I don't know what to do. Cause I'll never be with you.